Hello world, I'm Rochelle Indra, a life coach here to teach you the shit they should have taught us in school but didn't. Our society has a vested interest in keeping you stuck and unhappy so that you will try to buy your way out of it. But that's where I come in. I'm here to teach you how to give them all the middle finger. Week by week, I'll share bite-sized strategies on tackling overwhelm, onboarding good habits, creating boundaries, and actionable steps to rewire your brain to actually work for you instead of against you. Well, hello there, everybody, and welcome to the shit they should have taught us in school but didn't. I am your host, Rochelle Indra, and I'm hoping that you've listened to many of my episodes before you get to this one, just because I'm hoping that I have built up enough, oh, I don't know, cred with you that you will sit and listen to this episode, even if it's hard even if it's something you don't want to talk about, you don't want to think about, you don't want to deal with. Because it is something that we all have to deal with. And it is something that is currently happening to most of us. We are just not looking at it. And if it is not happening to us, it is definitely happening to the people around us. And that is grief. We're going to be talking about grief today. We're going to be talking about different kinds of grief. So often, especially in America, we think of grief as this thing that happens when somebody dies. But there are so many things that we grieve and that we need to grieve and that we don't grieve. This is something that I work a lot with clients around because we don't talk enough about what grief is in our society or how to grieve. So we'll also go over some tools for grieving the things we need to grieve. We'll talk about what it is that we need to grieve. And that's why I say, please listen to this, even if you think, oh, well, I don't have anybody that I've lost in my life or that I've lost recently. There are other kinds of grief. And then we will also talk about how to support other people in their grief, which I think is so, so vitally important because, man, we don't talk about grief. We certainly don't talk about how to help other people in their grief. And I know you, you're a good person. And I know you want to be there and support people you love when they're going through grief, but you don't know how because nobody taught you. And we do this, we get all, "Ah, I don't know what to do. And so we just say, let me know if I can do anything. And they're so in their grief, they're so in the turmoil of emotion that they can't step outside to tell you how to help them. They may not even know how to help themselves. So this is something that we're going to get into today. I sincerely hope you join me on this journey, and I hope that you share this podcast episode specifically with other people. I always hope that you share this podcast with everybody you have ever met in your entire life. But this one specifically, I hope you share with the people in your life because I think we need to start this conversation. We need to be helping each other through this experience. So why did I think about doing this episode. And I thought about doing this episode because I talk a lot about my dog, Zan. As you guys know, if you've been listening for a while, 
I talk about Zan quite often. And if I meet somebody new or I don't know somebody so well or they're new to my social media and I bring up that my dog passed away, people are like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. When did he die? And I'm like, oh, a year and a half ago, which now I realize in August will be two years. And they're like, oh, and they look confused. And I get it. Why am I still talking about grieving a dog that died almost two years ago? Because in our society, we are sold that grief is something that you experience right away when there is a death, and then you should be over it. I mean, look at how long we get uh, grief counseling for. Look at how long we get uh, bereavement time off from work. If we are even lucky enough to get time off of work for bereavement. There is this expectation that you're sad somebody dies, maybe for a week or two, a month, and then you should be over it. Look at movies and how they deal with grief. It is terrible how they deal with grief. It's like, oh yeah, oh my partner died. Oh my apocalyptic movie. Oh no, shoot, my best friend died. My parents died. Oh well, come on, keep fighting. Do 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 do. No big deal. And I'm like. Always, since I was a kid, I'm like, how are we not going back? Like, how are we not sad about all the people who have died? It's hard for me watching like The Walking Dead because they don't really show grief. It's like one scene of somebody being sad and then it's like, well, let's just get right back to it. And that is not real life. Thank God The Walking Dead is not real life for like a number of reasons. But it's not real life that we get over things that quickly, that we get over our grief that quickly. For many of us, grief will last a lifetime. And I have done uh, TikToks about this, but I talk to my clients about how grief comes in waves. And there are, sometimes it feels like it's one tidal wave after another, right? In the beginning, it can feel that way. It's just one tidal wave after another. You will never stop being in pain. Everything will hurt forever. You will always feel like you're drowning. It will always feel like too much. And then with time, with tools, with processing your emotions, there's longer between the waves. And the waves still come. They still come for a long time. Maybe they still come forever. But the way, there's a longer amount of time between the waves where you can breathe, you can relax, you can enjoy life. I went through a super severe trauma a couple years ago, and I remember it was nine months before I laughed again. And I remember the moment that I laughed and I thought, oh my God, I'm happy. I haven't felt what happy feels like in so long. I kind of forgot. And then I had, I was self-conscious about and embarrassed and felt ashamed that I was happy that this horrible thing happened. Um, this person passed away and now here I am like smiling and laughing and being happy. And that's also part of the grief process. That's us being happy, us enjoying our life when somebody has passed away, specifically when we're talking about that kind of grief, we can feel really bad about it. Or, you know, if it's a, a different kind of grief, we can also have this guilt and this shame about moving on, about being happy. And then sometimes we think, okay, I'm done. I'm good. I'm, I'm over it. I'm ready to move on. And then the wave comes again and it can surprise us. I know that I'm interested to see what happens for me. I'm recording this episode before I leave for Europe, uh, the day before I leave for Europe. And I, I'm thinking about this a lot because I missed 
my dog Zan so much when I was in Europe. And yes, it was right around the time of the one year anniversary of him passing away. But I was shocked at how much I missed him. And I think some of it, you know, when I processed it with my best friend, I think some of it was being out of sorts, being out of my environment, being uncomfortable, being vulnerable, that I just had wished that he was there, that I had that comfort, that companionship, that grounding with me going through the process. I felt very, very lost and alone at times, as one does. And I just thought, God, I wish he was here. I even thought, like, man, I wish he was here. He'd love this. He'd love going to outdoor cafes. He would love. And so I just thought about all the things that that he would love. And it made me sad and it made me miss him. So I'm, I'm thinking a lot about it as I go into this trip this year. Uh, the two-year anniversary will be while I'm in Europe. So I'm thinking about what tools I'm going to need. What am I how can I take care of myself knowing that this potentially could happen? It also may not happen. I may not have waves of grief while I'm there, but they took me off guard last time. And so I want to be a little bit more prepared for it. But as I said in the beginning, I bring up my dog passing away a lot on the podcast, on TikToks, in my life. I bring it up a lot because I want to talk about it every time I feel it. A, for me, but also because I want to remind us that grief doesn't just go away in a day, a week, a month, or a year. And so I think it's important for us to have these reminders that it is okay to continue to grieve. It is okay that the pain comes back. If this is triggering right now to listen to, I hear you. And you may need to take breaks from this episode. I hope you come back to the episode. But if you need to take breaks, you can. Also, if you need to take breaks because you feel like you're about to cry, take a break and let yourself cry. Let yourself feel the feeling that is coming. So often we take these feelings and we just shove them down inside and we don't deal with our grief. And then it comes out in these weird ways, like when you're getting salsa at the grocery store and you're frustrated because you can't find the right flavor and they're out of mild and, oh God, how can this be my life? And you just lose your shit in the middle of the grocery store. That's oftentimes unresolved grief or unresolved trauma, unresolved emotion of some sort. And grief is definitely one of those, we do not want to feel grief. So we push it down inside or we decide, I've cried enough, I've felt enough, I don't need to feel it anymore. So I bring San up to remind us that yes, we grieve for a long time period of time and that it's sort of my little talisman for you guys of a reminder that I'm still experiencing grief and you also may still be experiencing grief from something that happened six months ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago. And that is okay. I've talked before about a family friend who lost her brother and the mother was saying that she was crying at work about her son who had passed away. And somebody said to her, you know, oh my gosh, what are you crying about? And she said, oh, you know, my son passed away. And he goes, you're still not over that yet? Uh, uh, Oh my God. Oh oh my God. She was like, nope, never going to be over that. Never going to be over that. And that story she told it years ago stuck with me because I just thought this is so unacceptable that we don't talk about grief. 
and that we don't talk about how to support people through grief. Because I know I, for one, have just felt so lost. I'd almost rather go through grief than try to help somebody through grief because, oh my gosh, how do I do it? I, I don't know what to do. I want to be there for them. I want to support them, but I have absolutely no idea how to do it. So something I wanted us to to talk about today. So that's why I bring Zan up a lot. And maybe when I bring it up, it can give you that little reminder of, oh yeah, what grief is still left inside of me? Oh, what needs to come out? What am I experiencing and shoving down? And again, I said, I want to talk about different kinds of grief. Talked about animal grief, talk about human grief, but there are so many other things that we can grieve and that we so often need to grieve in our life. And we don't give ourselves the ability to. And so I just thought of a couple off my head, and this is not a comprehensive list, just some ones that came to me when I think of things that I've gone through or things that my clients have gone through around grief. You can grieve an idea. You can grieve an idea. And when I think of that, I think of the miscarriages I had. And yes, I I lost the pregnancies very quickly. But the grief that I had to go through of the idea of what those pregnancies were going to be, the idea of being pregnant, of having the baby, of what we were going to name it, what it was going to be like, what our life was going to be like, and and thinking all the way out as we do when we find that we're pregnant. What is the next 10 years, 18 years, 50 years look like? Where are they going to go to college? Who are they going to marry? Uh, what job are they going to have? What's our connection going to be like? All these things. Where, where the kindergarten are they going to go to? What are Christmas is going to be like? There's all these things. There's an entire idea of a life that needs to be grieved. And I hear women so often say this where they have a miscarriage and I you know, say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And they're like, oh, well, you know, I was only like two weeks along. And perhaps they're only two weeks along and they're totally over it and it doesn't get to them and that is fine. That, that can happen, no problem. But so often that's what we think we're supposed to say. But really we've made plans. We have ideas. But we don't know that we're allowed to grieve those. We don't know that it is okay. And believe me, that's a whole nother podcast to talk about issues around pregnancy and society's just horrible way of dealing with that. But it is okay to grieve an idea. Another idea that people have to grieve is when they do have children, what are those children going to be like? And when our children are different than we wanted them to be, than we had expectation for them to be, that is okay. I know a lot of parents right now of adult children are grieving the fact that their children don't want children. And they had this idea that they were going to have children and then they were going to get to be grandparents and what their life was going to be like in their older years as grandparents. And that's not happening. That's not happening. And there's some grief there. And we don't put it on our children that we're upset that they're not having children. We don't do that. That's not acceptable. But it is acceptable to grieve that idea of what your life was going to be like when you were a grandparent. And there's many more. Sometimes it's jobs, ideas we have to grieve. Sometimes it's what, where we thought our life was going, we have to grieve. But most of us have grief there somewhere. 
And that is something that deserves to be looked at and it deserves to be moved through. Another one is a time in your life, grieving a time in your life that doesn't exist anymore. Ooh, that can be a big one. You know, when we, we cliche talk about those people that sort of peaked in high school, as they say, I've been watching uh, Friday Night Lights. I know. How the hell have I never seen this show, Friday Night Lights? I know. I know. Don't get me started. But I've been watching it now. And it's, for those of you who don't know or don't remember, because it was a long time ago, uh, Friday Night Lights is about a small town in Texas that is obsessed with high school football and what that sort of does to the people in the community. And so you hear that cliche, in cliche because it's happened so many times, you hear that cliche about people who are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s still talking about their glory days in high school. And I always feel for people when they are telling me these glory high school stories over and over again because have they grieved the loss of that time in their life? Many of us haven't. Maybe the grieving the end of a relationship that you had back then. What is a time in your life that was so beautiful, so magical, so special? Maybe you didn't appreciate it when it was happening, and now you have to grieve the loss of that time, that that is gone, and it is not coming back. As many of you know, I bought a house last year, and um, it's very close to the house that I was renting for a number of years before it, and I love my house. It's absolutely amazing. I'm so grateful for it. I still drive by the old house and I miss it. And I was saying this to a friend. I was like, God, I wonder if I made the wrong decision. I love my house. I love the purpose of my house that I get to rent it out while I go to Europe. You know, I bought it for all these very specific reasons, but man, I miss that other house. Every time I drive by, I feel grief in my chest. And for me, you know, you guys know, I love talking about somatics, which is where our feelings live in our body. And I try to identify what does grief feel like in my body. This is something I I recommend for you. There is a difference between sadness and grief. Where does grief live? What does grief feel like? And for me, it's like a hand tightening around my heart and pulling down in my chest. That's for me, not for everybody, but for me, that's what grief feels like. And so when I drive by that old house on the way to my new house, I feel that feeling. And it was just this cute, tiny, sweet little bungalow. And I feel that grief. And I thought, God, it might, did I do this wrong? Did I make a mistake? Should I have stayed in that house? And my friend brought up this smart idea that he was like, I don't think it's that house that you grieve. I think it's the time. I think it's the fact that Zan lived in that house. My cat that I had at the time lived in that house. I had a lot of great years in that house. My life was simpler. You know, I just saw one-on-one clients then. And yes, I love where my career has gone, but it's a lot now. It's a lot to keep up with. It's a lot to do. It's a lot more complicated. It's a lot more stress. And my life was just very simple then. And there is some grief to the simplicity of my life then, of the house that, you know, Zan lived in. He never lived in this house. And so allowing myself to grieve that time in my life. Some of us need to grieve a decision we made. I get really frustrated. This is my pet peeve when people are like, I have no regrets. I have no regrets. I don't regret anything. Everything happened for a reason. I don't regret. First off, I do believe everything happens for a reason. It's just my philosophy. It doesn't need to be yours. But 
my thought whenever someone's like, I have no regrets. I'm like, well, then you aren't looking deep enough. You aren't really, really looking at your life because we have regrets. Sometimes they're tiny regrets. I'm like, really? You've never regretted something you've said to somebody. You've never regretted hurting somebody. You've never regretted making a certain decision that took your life in one direction or another. You can still say everything happens for a reason, and I learned from that. But I would be very surprised if you truly have absolutely no regrets. I think you haven't dug hard enough. And many of us regret a decision that we made. And I waffle. I have a a decision that I made, sort of a fork in the road in my 20s, and I took one direction, and there was another direction. And I think oftentimes about what would that other have direction have gotten me to? And Lord only knows, right? I didn't take that road. I have no idea where that goes. I only know the road I took. And I have ended up in a place I love very much. But the, I, the decision that I made to get here was an incredibly, incredibly painful decision that went as horrifically as it possibly could and for many, many years was in a really horrible situation for many years because of a decision that I made. And I give myself compassion. I did the best I could with the information I had at the time I made the decision. So I get it and I'm here now and that is wonderful. But there are still days where I look back and I go, God, I regret that decision. Man, if I could have just taken the other road, if I could have made another decision. And I have a lot of grief around that. So sometimes we grieve decisions that we made. And oftentimes they can be around marrying somebody, not marrying somebody, the job we took, the job we didn't take, the adventure that we didn't go on. There's a lot of decisions that we may need to grieve. Even if we believe that they everything happens for a reason, you can still grieve it. A lie. Ooh, a lie. Whether it is our lie or somebody else's lie. Grieving a lie. (sighs) That can be a big one we need to grieve. Yeah. A belief system. We may need to grieve a belief system that is no longer working for us. And that can be a religious one. Maybe we grew up in a religious household, a religious environment. There are some foundational belief systems in religion. Maybe those are no longer working for you and they have to be grieved. Maybe your parents gave you thoughts and ideas and and belief systems about who you are and how the world works and how, you know, you should live your life and you've grown up and realized that those are not true or at least they're not true for you or they're not right for you. Letting go of those belief systems. What comes when we can let go of those belief systems? Grief can come. We can be excited. We can be glad. We can be grateful. But sometimes we still need to grieve the time lost or grieve the fact that we did believe that at one time. So those are just a few that I thought of off the top of my head. As I said, I've gone through or clients have gone through So it's important for us to talk about the more things. And I'd love for you to share with me in the DMs of my social media, what are some other things that you have to grieve that you've come to terms with? And maybe take a break from this podcast. Maybe pause it and write down all the things that you still need to grieve. All the things that you still need to grieve. (sighs) 
those can be some big ones. Let's talk about tools. Right now, I've gotten you guys thinking about, oh my God, I still have this degree and that degree and I'm not over this and this tidal wave keeps coming. What do we do? How do we properly grieve? And one thing I love, as I heard, and I believe it was on Oprah many years ago, there was this woman, beautiful woman in her 20s, I think she might have been a model, absolutely gorgeous, and she was in a car fire, and they couldn't get her out right away because the fire was so hot. And God, I hope you're not eating right now, but um, her, her face mostly melted off. She had a slit for nostrils, a slit for her mouth, a slit for eyes. The rest of her face had melted away in what looked very painful. I don't mean like painful to experience, obviously, but it is painful for people to physically look at her. And it was so fascinating and heart-wrenching listening to her talk about what it is to live her life where people find her to be quote-unquote hideous or people don't want to look at her because it makes them so uncomfortable. And I remember Oprah asked, like, how do, how do you deal with this? And she said, well, I have a chair in my house, and I get up every morning, and I allow myself to sit in that chair and feel sorry for myself and cry out how badly I feel sorry for myself. And I cry and cry and cry, and then when I'm done crying, I get out of the chair and then I'm done, and I go about my day, and I go about my life. Wow. That is, image has stuck with me, this idea of having a place to go to grieve. And so I ended up doing that myself of I go in my bathtub, and my bathtub is the place when I need to really cry out emotion. I really need to feel something. I go into my bathtub. And I do it so often and I've done it for so long that now my brain just knows, oh, we go into the bathtub, it's time to cry, which will be really awkward someday when I have a partner and he's like, hey, you want to take a bubble bath together? And I get the bubble bath and I just start sobbing. Um, <laughs> might not have been sexy bubble bath time he was hoping for. I'm like, sorry, this is just where I grieve. <laughs> so, you know, <clears throat> I'm hoping I will hold it together, or I'm hoping that he will be very loving and understanding um, that, you know, I cry in the bubble bath while making him one of those little bubble bath hats and a bubble bath beard that I'll still be, you know, sobbing about Zan. So, um, <laughs> Ugh, poor guy. But, I, you know, I do this whenever I need to grieve or feel sorry for myself or anything. I The shower, too. I know a lot of us love to cry in the shower and Valentine's Day is my favorite holiday. I don't know why this has always been my thing. I think my first high school boyfriend did a ton of things for me every Valentine's Day. It made me feel so amazing and special that I just fell in love with Valentine's Day. And I love love. Big fan, big fan of love. And But I've been single for so long on Valentine's Day that I usually just allow myself to cry about it. And I sat in my shower this last Valentine's Day single, and I just sat in the bottom of my shower and just allowed myself to cry for as long as I needed to. I did this in Europe last year when I just felt like super overwhelmed by things. I was like, all right, time to go in the shower, sit at the bottom of the shower with the water running over me and just cry. And, and, and it works for me. And then I get out and it's just a great way for my brain to say, this is the spot where we get it all out. Because sometimes we can get really stuck in our grief or stuck in our trauma. 
stuck in our emotions. I was just on a podcast last week talking about this with the two women who are therapists. Cheaper Than Therapy is the name of the podcast. If you want to check it out, it's a really fun episode to do. And they have a great podcast and they're therapists. So that's really fun and interesting. And they, we talked about this, like people who get stuck in their trauma or people get stuck in their grief. So I like having a place where it's confined. Oddly enough, I also have clients do this who want to be writers. And I would say like, have a chair, have a spot where you write, where your brain just knows I go here and I do this thing. It's really great for its brain, your brain. It really likes ritual and routine. So having a spot where you go and that's your place to write and you don't do anything there, but write is great. Also having a place to grieve. Um, creating rituals, speaking of which, creating rituals. We are not great at this in America. We're actually really terrible about this. This should be another podcast on rituals. I'm going to write that down right now. But making a ritual around your grief, especially if it's around maybe a loved one that has passed, can you have a ritual? And other cultures are really good at this. I'd love for people to share with me more cultures that are good at this. And I believe like in the Jewish culture, Shiva, sitting Shiv, sitting Shiva. I am so, so sorry if I am saying this wrong or I'm getting this wrong. I believe it is Shiva. Um, but where you sit, you know, after somebody has passed away. God, I should have researched this, you guys, before I got on here. Ah, it's too late now. I'm terribly sorry if I'm getting this wrong. But I do remember that there is this uh, sitting, and I think it's you know, to sit in your grief and to remember the person after they've passed away. Buddhism has altars, which are so great. And the first hundred days, the belief that the spirit is still here and with us. And it's a time to love and honor the person and build an altar to them, which by the way, doesn't have to be a Buddhist thing. It doesn't have to be a religious thing. You can create an altar for anything or anyone. Oof, gives me chills just to even bring that up. You could make an altar around anything or anyone. And you don't have to Google, like, what do I put on an altar? You put anything you want. You can put anything you want. You can put little things that remind you of the person or the experience or, you know, whatever it is. You could, you could do anything. You could put their favorite food. You could put little things that remind you of them. You could put just personal items. You could use sage. You could put incense. You could put Anything that you want, you can make a little altar for as long as you want. And sometimes that's a great place for people to go and grieve over the person. I mean, we have gravestones, right? We put people in the ground and we have gravestones. We put people in the ground. Oh my God, I said that like so rudely, but you know what I'm saying? Um, And people go and that's a place, a symbolic place that people go and grieve the people that they love. So why not have an altar? Especially if you are far away from the gravestone, if you're somebody who likes to visit graves and you're far away, maybe making an altar. Maybe making an altar with somebody else. That might be a nice thing to do, right? If you have a friend and they're saying, how can I help? It's like, can we make an altar together? A little space in the house to remember this person or this thing, something that happened. I had a medically necessary abortion years ago. Again, it's another podcast episode. Um, and <laughs> my friend, who I'm not going to name for you know for her sake, but she listens to this podcast, so she knows who she is, and she's about to start sobbing hysterically, I am sure, at this. But when I lost that pregnancy, it was a late-term pregnancy that I lost, um, when it would have been her birthday, 
It was going to be a daughter. And when it was going to be her birthday, I just knew I was not going to be able to do this alone. And it was going to be so hard, so painful for me. And my friend decided, I don't know where she got this from, but she said, hey, I don't, I can make a cake for her if you want. And we can get balloons and we can blow pink balloons up and we can write on them. And we can write messages to her and just let them go and send them up to heaven. Please do not send me anything about like, oh my God, balloons are so bad for the environment. This was many years ago. And, you know, one or two balloons is not going to kill anybody. Um, So we wrote on those balloons messages to her. And man, it's exactly what I needed. And we had birthday cake. And I thought that I would do it every year. It ended up being the only year that we did it. She was very sweet. The next year, she's like, do you want to do this again? And it didn't feel right. It didn't feel necessary. It wasn't where I was in my process, and I wanted to honor where I was in my process. It was very, very, very necessary that first year. I needed a ritual. I needed a thing that symbolized what was going on for me, that honored her, that honored that experience, that allowed the grief process. And like I said, I thought I would do it every year. And I I haven't done anything since. Like I said, it hasn't felt right. But that doesn't mean that in the future it might not. Right? I give myself permission to change. <laughs> How often we don't give ourselves permission to change. It felt right then. It doesn't feel right now. And it may feel right again at some point. And that's okay. Things can change. You can change. What you need can change. It may, I mean, it's been many, many years now, but it could be 30 years from now where I'm like, oh my God, for whatever reason, it is hitting me really hard this year. She would, maybe she would be 30 and that's hitting me. And so I just feel like, wow, now I need to do something to have a ritual, to have an honor, to have a celebration and I'll do it. Right. And my friends will totally support me because good friends do that. No questions asked. So ritual, can you make a ritual that feels important to you around dealing with your grief? Moving your body, you guys always know that's another one I love for most things is moving your body, moving the feeling, the experience, the emotion um, through your body by movement, whether that is going for a walk or it's yoga or it's Taekwondo, whatever it is that feels good. We always say that uh, you store your issues in your tissues And it is true. All the science is behind it, people. You store your issues in your tissues. So we need to move it out. We need to move it along and out of our body. Shaking. Shaking is a really great way to move things out of our body. Um, They did a great study on ducks. If you've ever watched ducks fight, they fight each other and then they turn and they swim away. And as they swim away, they flap their wings shaking it off, right? As we say, they shake it off, but they put like, you know, electrodes or whatever it is, those little things on the duck's heads and on their brains, I guess. And, you know, felt all the like anger and frustration and upsetness and, you know, adrenaline when they were fighting and still the same amount as they were swimming away. And then they shook their body and it was over and they didn't feel anymore. And their brains went back to normal. And we are like that too, shaking it off. You know, there's so many like grandma sayings and cliches and things that are really true. Walking it off, go shake it off, go walk it off. Yeah, that's a real thing. Moving your body, moving that experience and that trauma out of your body so it doesn't get stuck in our tissues is huge. The other one I bring up a lot is writing 
journaling about it. You don't have to have a journal. It doesn't have to be beautiful. You don't have to write every day. It could be a piece of paper and a pencil. That is much better than uh, typing. But if typing is really all that you're willing to do, that's fine too. But really writing out how you are feeling. Just get it down onto paper, get it out of your body, get it out of your system and write it. One thing that somebody brought up to me that I don't ever think of because I'm not an artistic person is doing art about it. Doing art about what you are going through is beautiful. It's why we do have art therapy. Sometimes there are things that words cannot explain. I love, speaking of grief, whenever I need to grieve, there's a song that uh, reminds me of Zan just because it was sort of around in the time that he was passing away. And whenever I need to grieve him, I will listen to that song. There's another song that I absolutely love if you need to get into that place of letting your emotions go around grief. And it is the song from Hamilton. I think it's Uptown or Moving Uptown. And it is if you have been through grief, it is an extraordinary, extraordinary song about the feeling of grief, about the grief process. And it is about, if you don't know Hamilton, it's about a couple, well, not Hamilton, but this part of the story is about a couple that loses a son and what it is to go through grief together and separately as parents grieving a child and in part of, oof, oof, gives me chills and brings tears to my eyes. In a part of it, he says something to the effect of there are places so painful that words cannot touch. Oof. For those of us who experience grief, boy, if that is not true, there are places that are so painful words can't touch. But perhaps art can. Perhaps creativity can. Oof. Yeah. So if you are somebody who, and I'm not going to say if you're somebody who's artistic because fuck being artistic. If you are somebody who is drawn to doing art or called to doing art in this moment, in this experience, do it. It doesn't have to be good. It gets to be shit. It's about the process of doing it. It's not about what you make. It's about how it feels. You don't have to show it to anybody. You don't have to save it. You can throw it right into the trash. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be good. Believe me, we need a whole episode on art and all the stupid things we tell people about how art needs to be good and all this bullshit. So anyways, if art speaks to you, and I'm not saying speaks to you all the time, but speaks to you in this moment, if you're just like, oh my God, I'm just going through something and I can't express it and I just want to color about it, or I just want to use popsicle sticks and glitter and glue. I don't know why. I just want to use clay and build something right now. Fucking do it. Do it. You don't have to. This is why they have craft stores. You don't have to have any talent. Go to a craft store and just walk around and see what calls you. That's a great thing about crafts. Maybe glitter and clay and paper mache and a popsicle stick and a pipe cleaner all speak to you. You put them all together. It's just art. It doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't have to be good. It doesn't even have to be decent. You just have to like the process. And maybe you hate the process, but the process is getting the emotion out. Oh, I wish I was artistic because so many people who love to do art talk about the meditative experience of doing art. And it's something I forget for us to talk about because I don't, uh, I'm, I, it's not my calling, but perhaps, you know, somebody going through grief and if they are artistic or you are artistic, or even if you're not, maybe you say, Hey, 
do you want to not even talk about it? Like, is it too hard to talk about? Do you want to maybe just color together? Oh, I love that so much. I want to do that. I'm thinking about that now, like how lovely that would be if I was in severe grief. Someone's like, hey, want to color? Hey, want to like make paper mache? Hey, want to just fuck around with some clay? Yeah, we don't even have to talk. We can just exist together. Art is such a magical, magical vehicle for us that most of us as adults do not use anymore. So that's a great one. Breathing, always coming back to our breath, always coming back to our breath, making sure that we are breathing all the way into the body and letting it out. Making sure we're asking for support if we need it, support of friends, support of family, support of therapists or coaches or grief counselors after I lost my pregnancy because of all the complications and horrible things that happened. uh, My insurance company gave me grief counseling, and that was absolutely transformative for me to go to grief counseling. And so that kind of support can be really, really helpful. Regular therapy can be wonderful. Uh, Also, we say uh, postpone making big decisions or help your friends if they are going through grief that this may not be the time to quit your job and your relationship. Try for that promotion. Move. We're so out of sorts when we are in the beginnings of grief that it is just not the time, if possible, to make big life-altering decisions. And I think often about the show Fleabag. When I think about grief, and I love the show Fleabag. It was on several years ago. You can get it on Netflix. Be warned, it is um, it is not for the faint of heart. There's a lot of sex. There's a lot of swearing. Um, it is brilliantly written. I could not love this show more. But if that sort of thing bothers you or you find that sort of provocativeness shocking or it, it's not something that interests you, totally fine. But what I love about the show is that she is sort of a shithead through it. And some people take it as a surface level, like she's funny, but she's a bad person. She's a disconnected person. She doesn't care about the people in her life. She's incredibly selfish. And they see that surface level. But she has gone through trauma, a very, very severe trauma. And she is in grief. And really, the whole first season, if you dig to the second deeper level of what the show is about, it's about somebody processing grief, which is beautiful. And I have been in severe grief before, and I watch the show, and people are like, oh my God, the writing's so good, and sex is so good, and funny, and you know all these things. And what I love about it is that it's extended grief. It's showing that all the things that we can go through with grief, the shutting down that we do, the not being able to feel because we're in grief, not being able to care about the things and the people that we used to care about. We may look insensitive. We may look self-centered and angry, but really the grief is just all consuming. And even if when we are going through the rest of our lives or the day-to-day of our lives, we may not be able to, to be the people that others want us to be because of that severe grief. And it's something that happened to her a while ago. It didn't even happen on the show, but the show is really just about that grief. So I I highly recommend it for watching for that deeper layer of understanding the overall umbrella that she is experiencing life while going through 
grief that she is not coming to terms with, that she's not allowing herself to experience. So I recommend it for that. And lastly, I would like to talk about how we support other people in grief. Yes, this is so important. How do we support other people in grief? And one, of course, is how we support anybody going through anything, which is to just be there, to just be there. If they want to talk, not giving advice unless it's asked for, but just talking, just letting them talk, just being a listening ear when they need it is fantastic. The other thing I, let's just a side note, but something that somebody taught me about someone who's just lost somebody and going through grief and going through a funeral and having a bunch of people at their house is to, one, you can door dash people. I don't cook. So some people love to bring over a casserole or a lasagna or something when someone's going through grief or even when somebody's having a baby. I don't cook. So I, you know, say, I'd love to door dash you something tonight. What do you guys like? What sounds good? If nothing sounds good, you still need to eat, and I'll just DoorDash you something tonight at 6. It's not an advertisement for DoorDash, but bringing them takeout, whatever. The other thing I like to do, um, they now have wonderful care packages online. You can Google like sympathy care packages and it's like tea and chocolate and a warm blanket and Kleenex and like you can send all sorts of lovely, lovely things just to show people that you're thinking of them and you care. I love to send them like a care package from Amazon or Target of things that we don't think of that people need in grief. Kleenex, they often have a bunch of people coming over to their house. So paper towels, paper plates, napkins, uh, silverware that can be thrown away, anything that can just be thrown away so that they don't have to have people over their house and do dishes. So all those sorts of things, a toilet paper, it sounds silly, but toilet paper, because often people going through severe grief don't want to go to the store. That's the last thing they want to do. They don't want to have to buy more hand soap. They don't want to buy more toilet paper and paper towels, And but they're having a bunch of people over at their house quite often. So having things around for that, bringing them a cheese platter so that they can serve to people who are coming over all the time, things like that. But a really wonderful thing I learned actually from TikTok, because TikTok teaches us all the best things, obviously, is a lot of people started talking about in grief, how the way to support them is by asking about the person that passed away. And again, this is obviously for when somebody has, is grieving, somebody has passed away and we want to be there for them. Oftentimes asking about the person or telling stories about the person is counter to what we think we should do. We don't want to upset them. We don't want to hurt them. We don't want to make them more sad. And perhaps it's not right for somebody, right? Not everybody handles grief the same way, but a lot of people said, I wish that people would ask about the person. You know, somebody says, oh, my so-and-so passed away. And we'll say, oh my gosh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry. And we leave it at that. And we just kind of crickets after that, right? We don't know what to say. And this woman said that um, she worked for a cancer society and she was like, oh God, something happened in an email, a work email, and, and it needed to come out. She needed to say that her partner passed away of cancer. She's like, I hate doing that because people are weird about it and they're awkward and they don't know what to do and they don't know what to say. And so she had to email this person and she said, you know, my partner had passed away from cancer and the person wrote back, you know, oh, I'm so sorry. If you'd ever like to talk about them, I would love to hear stories about them. 
Ooh, this brings tears to my eyes, huh? Ooh, yeah. Yeah. If you have lost someone, you know that some of the hardest things is the forgetting. The forgetting things about them. I knew when I put Zan down, my first thought was I just wanted to smell him. I could just breathe in the smell of him because I knew I was going to forget it because I had lost uh, two cats previously. And I knew that I would forget the way they smelled. And I just was like, oh, God, I can't believe I'm going to start forgetting him. I'm going to start forgetting. And everybody's like, no, you won't. And I was like, yes, absolutely. You know, I forget lots of things about him. And so keeping that person alive through talking about them, the pregnancy I I lost late term. We had named her. And sometimes people who are very close to me who knew her name will bring up, oh, remember when, you know, you were pregnant with so-and-so and this funny thing happened and that thing happened and, and sort of still making her real and alive. Um, somebody had, right after she had passed away, somebody had given me a painting with her name in it. Those sorts of things that make her real, that make her not just a distant memory, but something that really happened, somebody who really existed. With Zan, um, there's a few people in my life who knew him, and whenever they bring him up, whenever they tell a funny story or allow me to tell stories about him, right? Even people who don't know him very well, Shauna met him once but she is so wonderful about letting me tell stories about him and laughing at the fun ones and going, oh, at the sad ones and just letting me keep him alive by telling stories about him. Or when people are like, oh, I found a picture of Zan um, and sending me a picture that maybe I didn't know about. I had a, um, a boy that I had dated in high school passed away. And uh, for quite a long time, I would send his mother letters of memories that I had with him, memories that she didn't have with him because, you know, she's his mom and, and I dated him. And so we had private experiences. I'm not sending him her weird things. I just make it sound like I was sending her sex stories or something, nothing weird like that. But um, just moments funny things I remember about him, funny things I remember about his idiosyncrasies or conversations that we had or plans for the future. And she always said how much it meant to her to get to see other sides of him, other aspects of him that she didn't know. And um, I, Zan had a couple of dog sitters and they would reach out and tell me funny stories about when they pets at him and things I didn't know. And like I said, I always always appreciate when someone finds an old picture of him and sends it to me, especially if it's one I haven't seen before. And so just allowing me to keep the people that I loved and that I miss alive by allowing me to share and and not making it feel weird. Um, I know one of the most painful things about losing my pregnancy was that people afterwards were so uncomfortable and felt so bad for me that anytime I brought something up about being pregnant, they would immediately sort of get quiet and look down. I remember I was with a bunch of girlfriends and we we're talking about issues and things of being pregnant and how challenging pregnancy is. And we're all laughing like, oh God, I know, right? Right. And everybody's talking and I brought up, I was like, oh my God, I know when I was pregnant and my ankles just got super huge. And I was like, oh my God, this is what they mean by a cankle. And everybody got quiet. And I thought, damn, I lost my pregnancy and now I don't even get to be a part of this. 
I'm ostracized from these conversations because everybody just feels bad and doesn't know what to say. So I actually loved when I had friends who were like, oh my God, did you experience this when you were pregnant? Oh my God, remember this? Remember how cute your little belly was? Oh my God, remember this? Remember that? And it's like, yeah, I still want to be a part of community. I still want to be a part of all those things. I don't want to have to have lost this pregnancy and also lost my community at the same time. This is not where I thought this podcast was going to go, but here we are. You know how we do. So allowing people to talk about who they've lost if it's right for them, letting them show you pictures, letting them remember the memories when they come up. That is a beautiful thing that you can do for somebody who is grieving whenever they're grieving. Like I said, we're coming up on the two-year anniversary of Zan, and I still want to tell stories about him. I still want to show people pictures of how freaking cute he was all the time. I probably always will. So I hope that this grief episode was meaningful and was helpful helpful for you in the grieving process that you go through and helpful for how we help the people we love who have to go through grief, any kind of grief, all kinds of grief. We will go through so many kinds of grief in our life and we deserve the tools. We deserve the help. We deserve the community. We deserve the support and we deserve to know how to help each other. And this is a great thing to talk about in friendships and in partnerships and in family. What do you need when you go through grief? Man, if you have a significant other and they're going to go through grief, they're going to go through grief that you will not go through or you will not go through at the same extent, asking them what they need. Hey, when, when you go through grief, what do you need? Do you need time away? Do you need time by yourself? Do you need to talk about it? Like, do you know what you need in grief? I remember I was dating a man who said to me once, what do you need to feel supported? Like just in general. And I was like, uh, 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 like nobody's ever asked me that. I love that he asked me that, that he wanted to know like what he could do to support me because everybody's different. So maybe asking the friends in your life, the people you're closest to, what do you need when you're in grief? What does grief look like for you? How does it show up for you? A, you're helping them understand their grief process more, but you're also getting information for how to support them when grief touches their life because it will touch their life. It will touch all of our lives. Sadly, it will touch it many times over. And that is just part of the human experience. There's a great saying that says, grief is just love that has nowhere left to go. Ooh. I love that one. Grief is just love that has no place left to go. There was a wonderful book that I loved written by the woman who wrote Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. It's a different book about two lovers who come back in every lifetime and find each other. And one of the lifetimes, um, it's my favorite chapter in the book. It's such a tiny chapter and it is so beautiful. And I saved the book because of this one chapter. And in the one of the lifetimes, he dies before she does. He dies very early in life. And she has a homing pigeon that they send back and forth to each other. And then he dies. And she sends the homing pigeon out to go look for him. And it just keeps circling. And that feels like grief sometimes. 
It's our love just keeps circling and doesn't have a place to go because that person isn't there anymore. And that's okay. Grief is what we get for love. And it's so worth it. I promise you, it is so worth it. No matter how painful it are, it is. It's worth it to love. It's worth it to hope. It's worth it to feel. And it's really wonderful to have support and community while we're doing it. So I hope that you have yours when you need it and you give it when somebody else needs it. I love you. Have a wonderful day. Are you a woman out there who has been doing her inner work for a while? You've maybe been going to therapy or listening to these podcasts or reading the books, doing the actual work it takes to heal yourself, and you're looking around and noticing that you are lonelier and more isolated than ever, that doing your work means that it does sometimes create distance with others. Think about joining the Sisterhood Group Coaching. I designed it so that women could come together and be supported with like-minded other women when sometimes our family and our friends, our children and our partners aren't as supportive as we would like them to be and as we deserve for them to be. This is a place to come every month and get that support and see the people who are doing the work, learning from each other, teaching each other. You deserve that. And this is a place where you can do it. 